You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. You may have a seat. Just want to welcome those joining us online. I know that there's lots of bugs going around uh, these days. So if you're at home with, uh, with some kind of sickness or you just uh, happen to be joining us online today, and uh, I just want to encourage you to let us know that you're joining us on whatever platform you're using. Well, we are continuing our study of Genesis. And uh, last week uh, was uh, a week of hope. Right After many weeks of, of discouragement when it comes to humanity, seeing uh, not only did uh, we self-destruct once, but we basically did it twice, right? Uh, the, 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 the humanity as a whole rebelled against God, and it got so bad that God uh, flooded the earth and uh, saved one family, and then we started out again, and, and things were, were looking up, and, uh, and then not so much. And uh, uh, Tower of Babel, uh, as humanity is again uh, rebelling against God, God scatters them all over the earth. And then last week, we see God step in. There's hope, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And he calls this one man, Abram, uh, Abram, who was a moon worshiper, he and his family, uh, this moon worship would have not just involved uh, crying out to the moon itself, but even human sacrifices, uh, wickedness, um, uh, just like we're seeing all over the earth at that time. But God calls Abram. And in calling Abram, his life changes, his direction for his life changes. Uh, just as I pray that that has been the case for each of you, who are here this morning, when God called you, you once lived for yourself, you once trusted in yourself, but now you trust in him, you live for him, and he is the one who's directing your life today. Uh, we're going to be looking at this more this morning, but uh, we've seen Abram called to go to the land that God would show him. And when God calls you, there are a lot of uncertainties, right? Right? You're not sure what he has for you in your life, but you do know this. He's given you his word, and he asks you to trust in him each day, just as he had called Abraham to do. Uh, Abram to do. And God calls us to, to seek him and his righteousness each day in the life of faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the life of faith. Um, Abram's life, I believe, is... is in this little bit of one chapter, really sums up our lives of faith. Some moments really, really good, you know, just really trusting in, in the Lord God and, and bringing glory to his name, and then not so much. Uh, can you relate to that? And maybe, maybe there's some days this last week, you're like, that was, that was a fantastic day. You know, I just, I woke up praising the Lord, had some time with him in his word. I, I went out into the workplace. I got a chance to, to share with Frank. I've been thinking about that for a long time. I was telling him about the Lord, and he might come to Easter service. I'm not so sure. And, you know, and, 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 and just great time with the family that night, and, and then I went to sleep. What a great day. But, but then the next day, maybe not so much. You woke up late, and you rushed out the door, and the whole day was just seemed like you're just trying to survive. That's the life of faith. And as we think about that, we are, we're, we're greatly encouraged by the good times, but we can be greatly discouraged by the bad times. But what, what I want us to see this morning is just as Abram had his good times and his bad times, our God is always faithful. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Just as he was the hero last week, I really stress that last week, he is the hero this week and he is the hero every week. And, and so we look to him. And so I, I, I want to encourage you this morning as we go through this text, where's my faith at? That's what I think I want you to be asking yourself, who am I putting my trust in? Am I putting my trust fully in the Lord each day? Or even as I sit here right now, if I'm being honest, I got one foot with him and I got one foot with me and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I pray by the end you say, all for the Lord. I want to fully trust in him. I repent of my self-trust. I want to trust in him and that you would know that he is faithful. 
That's my prayer for you this morning. So before we get going into God's word, let's pray together, and then we'll get into the text. God, we love you. We're so thankful that, Lord, you are always faithful. God, if we're being honest here this morning, we, we, all of us can relate to what I was just talking about. Good days, and then some not so good days. And Lord, we are so thankful that in the good and the bad, that you are always faithful. That God, through Christ, we have hope this morning, not just for a day, but for all of eternity. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Lord, you are always good, always faithful. And God, I pray that that would be so evident as we study this morning. That God, as we think about this saint of old, that Lord, we would learn about who you are and who we are as a result of what Christ has done. God, we pray that we would leave here excited about representing you to a lost and dark world. We pray that as we leave here, we would have great hope because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And so God, would you lead us by your spirit this morning? I pray that this preacher would not speak his own words, but your words with clarity, with passion, that Lord, you might be brought honor and glory as you are due. It's your name we pray, amen. All right, everybody needs a Bible. If you don't have one, go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, everybody needs a copy of God's Word. Maybe you forgot it today. That's totally fine. Maybe you don't have one, just, but everyone needs a Bible. So if you don't have one, uh, go ahead and put up your hand. The ushers would be happy to get them to you. And then turn to Genesis 12, Genesis chapter 12. We're going to finish off the chapter this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 20. Verses 4 to 20. Let me read. So Abram went... As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Merah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now... There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake." When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his wife, and his, sorry, and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So, Sarai call, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And when Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. All right, well, first... The good news. When we trust in him, we see personal piety. We see personal piety. What is piety? It is reverence for God or devout fulfillment of religious obligations. It is the kind of life that out of your love and reverence for God, you're not only hearers of the word, but you're also doers of the word. You walk in obedience to him. This is what piety is. 
Every single person is called to have this personal piety. Now, last week, we focused on the Lord and his faithful calling of Abram, but this week, we want to see how Abram responded. He responded in faith. In Romans, we, under, we, we learned that Abram was justified by his faith. Romans 4.3. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And so God makes these promises to him and he believes the promises that he would be a great nation, that he would, be, uh, would have a great name, that he would be a blessing as he is blessed, not only just to, to his family, but to all the nations of the earth. I mean, what, what a promise in light of the world in which Abram lived, okay? Again, all the nations walking in rebellion against God, and God says, I'm gonna bless all the nations through you, Abram. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you, or sorry, those who dishonor you will be cursed. Now again, remember Abram's situation. 75 years old, no children. Did it take faith to believe in these promises? Yes, it took faith to believe these promises. Walkie puts it like this. Through the childless couple, God will bring into, into being a new humanity that is born not of the will of a husband, but of the will of God. He's going to make it very clear as we're going to study Abram. This was God's plan. We think about Jesus coming into this earth. It was God's plan. Not born not of the will of man, but of the will of God. His faith was not limited to mental assent, mental agreement, right? He wasn't just like, I believe it, and then lived differently, right? Live, lived as if it was all dependent on him. He, he lived by faith. And so we read in verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. If you look back to verse 1, what he had told him is this, go to the land that I will show you. And so in faith, he goes to the land that he would show him. We talked about this last week. If, it would be hard enough to go to a foreign nation if somebody gave you a specific address. But he's got no specific address. He's simply told, go to the land that I will show you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Hebrews 11.8 speaks of this. He says, by faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That takes faith. To get up and to trust the Lord. Each day, you're looking for direction, right? <laughs> where are we going today, Lord? Keep going south? Okay. Got to keep going south. That, that's, you didn't have GPS. You had, you know. I mean, I wasn't quick enough to come up with something like God P.S. I don't know what that would have been, but okay. But that's, that's what he's going by. He's going every day, Lord, where are we going? And we see that he's not going on his own. We read that Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And so Abram is obeying the word of the Lord here. He's walking in obedience. Faith and obedience must go hand in hand. It was true for Abram, and it's true for you and I. So many people say they believe. Oh, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus died for me. I, I'm going to show up at Easter service again this year. I, I won for one last year. I, I went to last year's service, and I'm going to come to this year's service. I haven't been to church since then, but I faithfully go every Easter. I'm a real person of faith. But if you were to follow them around, other than showing up at an Easter service each year, they, they, they don't have faith. Their, their faith is dead, is what James says. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you believe, then your life should be different. Because what you've done is answer the call to follow him. Not, not, not just get hell insurance. You understand what I'm saying by that? I said the prayer, so I guess I'm good. 
No, that's not how it works. When you put your trust in him, then you are to follow him. And so there should be evidence in your life. I don't have the same desires I used to have because God has changed my desires. I, I, I used to walk this way and now I walk this way. I'm not, as we're going to see, not batting a, a thousand, right? Not a hundred percent, not perfect, but my heart's desire is to follow after him. No longer living for this world. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the city of God versus the city of man. If you're in Christ, you're no longer living for the city of man. You're now living for the city of God. It says this in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we, we, our focus isn't here on the earth anymore because we know this isn't home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And, and one day soon, God's going to fit us with a new body for heaven. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sin. That is our destiny. That is where we're going. And so the, the momentary troubles of this life don't bother us because we know with certainty that is our future. Bergman says the, the pilgrim's citizenship is in heaven, and he or she looks for a city whose architect and builder is God. Because why? Because that place is eternal. That place is eternal. All of this, super temporary. Super temporary. Things come and go, but we look for that which is eternal. The writer of Hebrews said this was true of Abram. Hebrews 11.10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. May this be the life of faith which you are living. And I want you just to examine your own heart this morning. God, help us to examine our hearts. Help us to see, Lord, am I living for this world? Am I putting my trust in, in the stuff or am I putting my trust in you? Am I, am I living for the temporary or am I living for the eternal? God, show me. Lead me, Lord, that I might bring glory and honor to you. Secondly, when we trust in him, we see persistent proclamation. Persistent proclamation. Last week, I suggested to you that the call came from Ur. I don't think there's any doubt from that as we read the New Testament scriptures that God called Abram and Ur, and then we see him, Terah and his family moving to, they supposedly were on their way to Canaan, but they stop in Haran. Why did they move? Well, I suggested to you last week that, that Abram shared with his dad what the Lord had done, and, and he, in his faith, he, he encourages him, and, and Terah seems to have faith for a moment, at least, and he goes to Haran, but then he settles down there. Uh, as we read the text here this morning, I think Abram continues to proclaim about this great God who's introduced himself to him. And, and as a result of that, there are people who are getting saved. We see this again in verse 5. Abram took, who, who did he take with him? Sarai. Takes Lot their possessions, and then it says this, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. What does that mean? And my first thought is like, I guess, you know, old days, slavery, I guess he'd acquired, he bought some people in Haran to, to go with him. But that's, that's, that's just my thinking, okay? So as I started to study, the word acquired is actually better uh, uh, translated made. And the people that they had made in Haran. What does that mean? Uh, did, did, did Abram and Sarai have some kids here? No, they did not have kids. So what is, would what it mean that the people that they had made? Well, Ross puts it really well like this. In the same passage, God has already used the word make in the sense of make you into a great nation. That is not just a promise for numerous descendants, but the formation of a nation by covenant. Here, making souls here refers to proselytizing. That is, to Abram's influence on people to join him in following Yahweh's call in his new venture. So to make, he's making disciples. 
He is, he is calling them to follow Yahweh, the, the one true God. These are those who are following with him. Interesting, right? Again, I hadn't... I'd never noticed that. I just noticed he had a bunch of people with him. By the time he gets to, you know, these battles, where did all these people come from? From him proclaiming the faith and them following him as he goes. Last week, I was kind of hard on Lot, all right? Let's be honest. I'm, I'm taking that back a little bit this week, okay? <laughs> because, because I think, and then I was thinking like, well, yeah, duh. Like, Lot seems to have faith later on. Like, not great, but he does have faith, right, later on. And so I think Lot's coming with him for the same reason. In verse 4, it says that he went with him. It seems like it was a choice for him to follow with, right? Now, I'm not saying there wasn't problems because of Lot. We, we're going to see them next week. But, well, two weeks from now. But, but he's following for the same reason. Now, Abram is exemplary for the life of faith again, right? Everywhere he goes, in Ur, in Haran, he's, as we're going to see, is he going to continue on to Canaan? He's proclaiming the Lord God, no matter where he goes. Now, now he's in a dark, dark place. That world was dark. Nobody was following Yahweh. He's, 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 being, he's like Paul. He was the first one in on all of these places. And as he goes, people are following him. The life of faith for you and I should be no different. We should see persistent proclamation of who God is everywhere that we go. The, 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 the places that, we, that we, we go to should be different because of our presence, because God has sent us there. Your workplace, your neighborhood, your grocery store, everywhere that you go, you have an opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. Does this describe your life of faith? And I want to suggest to you this. When you're passionate about your walk with Christ, you can't help but do this. Some of you are like, okay, we're going to get the hey, you should tell some people about Jesus thing this week because it's Easter time, and uh, I guess I better tack that on to just another thing I need to feel guilty about. Like, that, that shouldn't be the way. You're like, yes, we're going to leave here on fire for the Lord because of, look, we get to know him, we know him, we love him. Look at all he's done for us. How could we not tell everybody about who he is and what he's done? You, you don't need to watch the news for more than three seconds to see that this world desperately needs Christ. And we are his ambassadors. And so we seek to tell as many people as we can about the Lord. As we go into this Easter week, let's be on mission for him. Listen, if you're looking at stats and you want like probabilities of whether somebody's going to come with you or not, this is a great week. It's a great week. We're still somewhat a Christian nation by name only, but, I, but somewhat a Christian nation, right? I, at least grandma and grandpa used to go to church, right? There, there's some kind of faith somewhere with a lot of people still. And so let us go out. We got those Easter cards. Can I just challenge you? Take a handful and say, God, help me. God, help me. I don't know, as I grab these cards, I don't know exactly who I'm going to invite, but I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you, Lord, and I want as many people on this earth to know that you are God. I want them to know that they can be saved. They don't have to suffer eternity apart from you because of what Christ has done. And so, God, help me to be bold. This is, as, 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 as Paul asked for prayer to be bold, let us pray. Lord, God, help us to be bold for your namesake. Do, they, do people know why we celebrate Easter? We have the answer. It's not about an Easter bunny. It's not about, hey, we just wanted a long weekend in April. There is a, there's a long-standing tradition as to why we celebrate Easter. And so let us go and tell as many people as we can that the Lord God sent his son. That he came, he lived the perfect life. As he lived that perfect life, he did so, so that you and I might be saved. 
He laid down his perfect life in exchange for our sins. He paid the debt for our sins that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And on that third day, on that Sunday, he rose again. We're going to celebrate this coming Sunday. We ought to celebrate every Sunday. We ought to celebrate every day this resurrection, but we're going to do it together, and, and, and we're going to pack this place out. I can't wait. Some of you might have to stand. That'll be okay, okay, so, so the unbelievers can sit, but that's okay, right? And we're going to pack it out, and we're going to celebrate the great king. Amen? Let us be persistent in our proclamation. Not just this week to come, but this is the week that's coming. So let's be on and then go beyond that. This is the life of faith. And we do this until Christ returns or he takes us to be home with him. This is our joy. This is our privilege. And then thirdly, when we trust in him, we see passionate praise. We see passionate praise. We see this in verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Merah, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So this place in Shechem is thought to be a religious site in the land of the Canaanites. Groves of trees were viewed as sacred spots because of their fertility. Mora means teacher, so the oak of the teacher. This is where the Canaanite priests would have come and, and taught their false religion. This is where they're gathering together, and Abram comes to this place, but he's not stopping there to worship God, or worship their gods, is he? Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him, who had appeared to him. I love this. This is so good, and such a picture of what we should see as we go out from this place. He comes to one of the darkest spots on the earth, a place of idolatry, a place where they're worshiping false gods. God appears there and says, this is yours. This land is yours. It will be yours. And to represent the fact that God will be worshiped in that place, he builds an altar. And he worships the one true God in this land of darkness at the very, very, precipice of their idolatry. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? Isn't that a reminder of what you and I are doing as we go out from this place every, every week? We're going into dark places and we're proclaiming there is one true God. He is to be praised. He is to be worshiped. And he is the owner of this earth. And this is his place. And he's returning soon. This is his land. This is his earth. And we will proclaim his name. We will worship him until he returns. And then we will worship him in his, in, in his presence. What an encouragement this must have been for the Israelites. Again, remember, they were receiving this before they entered the promised land. They're like, that's when it started. That's when it began. That's when... That's when that's when the Lord called our father Abram and told him that we were going to have this land. And we are that offspring. We are the ones who are about to go into the promised land. What an encouragement it must have been to them. God is able to deliver them into the promised land. Again, did it take faith for the Israelites to go into the promised land? Again, enemies bigger, enemies more numerous. But they believed by faith that God had given them the land, and so they went into the land. And so just as they, Abram had faith to believe, they had faith to believe as well. Verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going through toward the Negev. Now, Abram needed to keep moving on. Why? He doesn't... There's no land for him to settle on in Canaan. All the good, fertile land was owned by the Canaanites. So Abram continued toward the Negev, which was the dry south desert. Hugh says this, the presence of Canaanites indicated opposition that was going to be a reality as Abram continued his life of faith. A godly life must always be lived out in the middle of misunderstanding and temptation and even persecution. 
Now, that's our lives as believers. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have people hate you on account of Christ. You will be persecuted. This is the life of faith. It was for Abram. It is for you and I. And to combat that, the best thing that we can do are to live lives of worship, keeping our eyes on him, just as Abram is doing here. As he comes to this place, again, it's another well-known worship site for the Canaanites. They worship to God by the name of El. And so as he comes to this place, again, he sets up an altar and worships the Lord. He calls on the name of the Lord, which again takes us back to Genesis 4.26. At that time, people called on the name of the Lord. There is hope on earth because of God's faithfulness, because of his covenant with this man. This is calling on the Lord. And Luther translated this calling on the name of the Lord. He preached. He proclaimed. Hugh says this, proclaiming Yahweh's name would include extolling his great attributes and mighty works. He's preaching to all those around. Now, remember, he's got a little bit of an entourage with him, right? It's not just Abram with his little, you know, just him and the altar. Like, there's a bunch of people there, and they're extolling the name of the Lord. Where? In this place of darkness. The land may not be Abram's, but he leaves altars behind to the one true God. Everywhere he goes, he's leaving an altar behind. He praises the Lord God in a hostile land and makes much of him, just as the Lord calls you and I to do today. Another great verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. I encourage you to write this down, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. But what does it say for us? But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Everywhere you go, you ought to smell. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to just, there's this, there's this aroma of Christ going with you everywhere that you go. And everywhere you go is not the same because you were there. This is our opportunity as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some, it says here, will reject you and others will believe and have life as a result of you being an aroma for Christ. This is our joy, this is our privilege. Just as Abram did as he went through the dark land of Canaan, so it is for you and I. What a great example of faith. Personal piety, persistent proclamation. Here he's, he's worshiping the Lord everywhere he goes. This is, this is our joy, this is our privilege in the life of faith. Follow all those examples. But don't follow this one. When we trust in ourselves, what do we see? Prolific problems. Things are going great, right? He's left Ur, a little bit of a stop in Haran, maybe not full obedience, but he's, he's got on, he's moving on. He's got to Canaan. Now he's down to the Negev. He's almost to this place called Egypt. And now there's some problems. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abram now enters a time of testing. If you are in the Lord God, you will have times of testing. You will have trials. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. You will have trials. If you're, if you're here this morning as an unbeliever thinking, maybe if I add Christ to my life, all my problems will go away, uh, that's not how it works. And it's interesting that often after the highest of highs, when it comes to things spiritually, there is this, this time of testing. Think about Elijah, this great victory on Mount, Mount Carmel. He's just defeated all these prophets. He showed that there is one true God, and it is the Lord God. And then the next thing you see, him running from Jezebel. A great time of testing in his faith. And he's like, oh, Lord, just kill me. Even our Lord God, after he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he faces temptation from Satan. So if you're in the high of highs, then get ready. 
Time of trial could be coming your way. Now, as opposed to what Abram does, when a time of trial comes our way, what do we do? We ought to call upon the name of the Lord. But that's not what he does here. Instead, he trusts in his own thinking. He, 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 he's, he, he's, he's got a plan. It's accentuated in the plan itself. Everybody's going to look at this plan like, what a dumb plan. Okay? But let's try to understand why he thought it was a good plan. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai's wife, I know you are a, be- you're a woman beautiful in appearance. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. And then they're going to kill me. They'll let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with you because of you. Sorry, with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Abram believes this is a good plan. Abram knows that his wife is beautiful, right? Is this true? Is his wife beautiful? Apparently not just to Abram, right? That the threat is real, okay? So he's not, he's not kind of making stuff up in his mind. This is, there, there is some, a real threat here that, that when he goes to this place that they're going to say, hey, she's cute. Let's kill, let's kill the husband, now, just to stop and like, just soak that in for a minute. Like, great place to live, right? Like, what a world. Kind of like what? Genesis 6. World full of violence. Apparently still going on in Egypt, right? So the threat is real. So what are we going to do? Well, instead of saying, well, Lord, you promised all of these things. I'm going to be a great nation, a great people. That obviously means, Lord, you're going to protect us. You're going to watch over us. He's not thinking about any of that. He's not trusting in the Lord. Instead, he's got this great plan. Say that you're my sister, which is we're going to find out what's true. So he's not totally lying. God must be totally fine with this because I'm not lying. It's not full lie. You, kind of are, you are my sister, half-sister, okay? So that'll be okay. And so what's the plan? Like, why, why do this? I mean, so it will go well with me. Like, the first time you read that, like, oh, great. Great for Sarai, right? Yeah, great plan. Like, good for you. What about her? Well, here's what he's thinking. Now, we need to get out of 2023 AD and go back to around 2023 BC and realize at that time, if you wanted to marry someone, you had to go through what? A family member. And so he would be the closest family member. So if somebody's like, hey, Sarai's pretty cute. I want to marry her. He could then stall and make a plan to flee. That's what his plan was. It seemed on the surface that it would work out, right? We'll go down there. If everybody is kind of like, cool, we don't have to worry about it. But if they're like, okay, I want, I want to marry your wife or marry, <laughs> marry your sister, which was his wife. If you want to do that, then... You'll have to ask me, and then we'll get out of there, right? So this is his plan. It seemed, seemed like a good plan, but we'll see the futility of it, just as any time you and I trust in ourselves rather than the Lord in his word. So when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Anybody kind of still confused by this? She's 65. You know, like, <laughs> like was it Botox? Like, what was she doing? Like, what, what made her so beautiful? Well, again, think about the length of life. She's kind of like midlife here, so this would be like 30s, 40s today. Right, so that maybe helps us a little bit to understand what's going on here. She, she, she is a woman that attracts men, apparently, okay? And, and, and as she comes in, the plan totally backfires because she gets noticed and they tell Pharaoh about her. And so she is taken to Pharaoh's house. She's taken to be a part of his harem. That's what's going on here. 
I think if we learn anything from Esther, when he studied Esther, there's going to be this preparatory time for her to be made ready to be a part of his harem. This is what's going on. So she's there now. Can you imagine what's going on in her heart, in her mind? Like, what, what's going to happen? And then, if it wasn't bad enough for Abram, it says this, and for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels given to him. Can you imagine every time he's seen one of those animals, how his heart would have just been torn in two? Like, what have I done? What have I done? He's jeopardizing on a human level. Listen, on a human level, everything is at jeopardy now. How in the world are they going to get out of this? They, 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 she, he can't, what is he going to do? He's going to go attack Pharaoh, save his wife somehow? That's not going to work. He'll be dead. She'll be his, in, the, in the harem. Like there seems to be no earthly way to get out of this. And there wasn't any earthly way to get out of this. The, the promise to the nations now is in jeopardy. The, the promise of blessing and, and, and Christ coming are all in jeopardy. If we look at it from that point of view, at that moment, everything is in jeopardy because of the foolishness of Abram. What a dumb plan. And it's totally backfired. I can only imagine their anguish, both of them. Must have laid awake at night and wondering what's going on with Sarai. Sarah, unable to sleep, like what, what's going to happen to me? Well, even in our foolishness, we see this preserving providence, 17 through 20. Preserving providence, verse 17. But the Lord. Why is there any hope? Why is there any chance that the promises that God made are still going to happen? But the Lord. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. God intervenes. If God had not intervened, we, none of us have faith today because the plan would have been done because of what Abram and Sarah had done. So he brings these plagues on them. We're not told what the plagues are. The wording here in Hebrew would seem to indicate some kind of skin disease, right, coming on Pharaoh and his household. How do they know that Sarai is the problem? Probably she doesn't have the skin problem. Everybody else does. That's kind of like kind of apparent as to where all of a sudden this has come from. And so Pharaoh is upset, you would say. <laughs> so he calls Abram, and he says to him, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. What does Abram say? Nothing. There's nothing to be said. Everything that, that Pharaoh has said is true. I mean, what, what an irony that Pharaoh is shown to be the person of righteousness in this situation. Everything he said is true. But at the same time, Pharaoh is under a plague because of his God. So he doesn't threaten them. He just tells them to get lost, get out of the land. And he gives them a personal escort. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Right? It's like, we're taking you to the border. Right? You're not, you're not sticking around another moment because of what you've done to us. On the surface, it would seem that maybe Abram has got away with his lie. He received riches. There's no consequences. Is that how you see this? Well, if you think that, you totally misunderstand grace. Abram understood that he had put everything at jeopardy. 
with his God because of what he had done. If it was not for God's grace and his mercy, everything would have been ruined. He would have been separated from his wife for, for all the rest of his life. As we're going to continue to read, we're going to see that there were not just the anguish that he had experienced, not just, not just the reality of what he had done against his God, but, but there's future consequences because of these events. Next chapter, all these riches that he has received are going to cause problems between him and Lot. Then you get to chapter 16, there's this Egyptian maidservant. Where'd she come from? from this whole incident. Her name's Hagar. She's gonna have kids, and for up till now, those kids, Ishmaelites, are gonna be at war with the Israelites. There are consequences to our sins. Anybody who thinks like, well, I'm, you know, God's got me covered, Jesus has covered my sins, I can kinda just live however I want, there'll be no problems, you are deceived. Sin always has consequences. There is no getting away with sin. Even just think about his witness in Egypt. Canaan, he's leaving altars everywhere he goes. He's lifting high the name of God. He gets to Egypt, and people are suffering because of his sin. That's his testimony there. being driven out of the land, no longer any opportunity for a witness there. However, the Lord is still faithful to his word. First Timothy, Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. I love how Matthews puts it here. The blessing depends on God's call, not Abram's conduct. Why, why does the promise remain? Because of God's call on his life. Not because of his conduct, but because of God's call. What an encouragement it is to sinners like you and I. God does not let the foolishness of man thwart his plans. Abram will grow from this. We will see that he will not be perfected, be, be perfect by any means, but he will grow in his trust of the Lord, and as the years go on, he will be a man that we can look to as a positive rather than a negative example. The life of faith can, contains ups and downs. As we go through the pages of Scripture, the heroes of faith, one after another after another, we see that they too had ups and downs. There was no one who was perfect, right? Over and over and over again. David, man, I want to be like David, and then he had his thing. I want to be like Noah, and then he had his thing. I want to be like Abram, but then he has his thing. And what we see over and over and over again, there was only one who in the garden said, not my will, but yours be done. Only he, Jesus Christ, has done what needed to be done. We're going to be looking at that on Friday as we think at scenes of the garden. Our Lord Jesus Christ has done what was needed, and as, as a result of that, there is hope for every one of us who are people of faith this morning. His perfect work has paid the debt that we could not pay. This morning, if you are in Christ, you are part of the new covenant. You've had your sins cleansed through the blood of Jesus. If you are now a child of God, as Jesus is reconciled to you to God, then be assured that the promises given to you are going to be filled, fulfilled, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. Because he is always faithful. There is a new heaven and a new earth waiting for you who are in Jesus Christ because of what he has done. You, help, you will be with Christ for all of eternity because of his perfection, because of his power, because of his grace. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, 1 Thess 5, 23, 24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your faithfulness. Lord, if we're being honest here this morning, we can all relate to Abram. Lord, turning to our own ways, foolishly, thinking that we know better than you. And our pride, trying to, trying to figure out things that, Lord, you don't want us to. Lord, you call us to call upon your name. God, forgive us. Lord, as we look at this Saint Abram, we see as time goes on, Lord, you increase his faith, you grow his faith. And God, this morning we're crying out to you and we're saying, God, increase our faith. Help us, God. We are a weak people. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he said, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you that through Christ, Lord, we have now been forgiven. That, Lord, we are now in a new covenant. Lord, you have promised that, Lord, those who are your children, that no one and nothing can take us away from you. And so, Lord, with great hope this morning, we come to you, we praise you, that our salvation is sure through Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we pray that as we go from this place, that, Lord, we would proclaim your great name to this lost and dark world. Lord, that we would praise you everywhere that we go. We would, pre- we would proclaim the hope of the gospel everywhere we go. And that, Lord, we would walk in obedience to you. God, that's our hope. That's our prayer as we leave here, God. Lord, that is possible because you've made us new creations. You've made us new people in you. And so, God, we pray, would you, be found, would you find us faithful to you, Lord, as you continually are faithful to us? Lord, for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.